Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. This podcast is brought to you by Tethered. Now with deer seasons winding down, it is a great time to take the plunge into saddle hunting, especially if you've been considering it. Maybe you've just wanted to try out the gear before you made a purchase. So with that, our friends at Tethered are always coming up with ways to help saddle hunters. And this year, they're doing the Tethered Teach and Train Tour, and it's hitting 20 different cities. And the session is 100% free to attend, where you'll be able to try out all their gear. So here's what's happening or what is also included in the event. There's a free lunch or dinner, depending on the time of the event. All their saddle hunting gear will be in one place. You can test absolutely everything that they have. And then there's going to be lots of giveaways and freebies. There's event-only pricing and discounts on tethered gear. And then there's insider access on some gear, so you'll get a sneak peek as to some of the things that are yet to be uh, to be released. And then there'll also, of course, be saddle hunting experts there available to answer any of your questions while you're hanging and trying out the different gear. So head over to tetherednation.com and check out the Teach and Train Tour page to see the list of cities and dates. Uh, I'm planning to be at the event on May 28th through the 31st at the Seven Springs Tax Shoot. So I hope to see you all there. The first thing I do in the morning before a hunt, before a scout, or just before getting ready for work is have my morning coffee, and I'm sure most of you out there listening are the same. Make sure you're filling your mug with Skull Brew Coffee, as it is the only coffee company that is both 2% for conservation certified and donates 10% of its profits to conservation organizations to help secure the future of our wild places. So head to SkullBrewCoffee.com and choose between three killer roasts of coffee and know that you are supporting conservation with every sip. Welcome to the Truthfulness Stand Deer Hunting Podcast brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 164. Today's part two of my conversation with my friend Zach Farrenbaugh of The Hunting Public, and we're continuing to talk all things public land hunting and ground hunting tactics. So stay tuned. All right, all right, all right. What is up, everyone? Happy Wednesday to you. Hope you're doing well. Hope you are feeling fine. I am feeling way better than I was last week at this time after the uh, first weekend of the Harrisburg show. Caught the caught the infamous, infamous Harrisburg, whatever that stuff is, uh, which was not great, but feeling much better. It was actually just got back from the Har- Harrisburg show, so I was just there. It's Sunday, so I'm kind of getting this up front in to try to get things ready for this week because, again, have another crazy, busy, hectic kind of week. And uh, so spent the weekend there with my boys at Exodus, uh, Chad Sylvester and, 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 and Jake and the crew, and uh, did a podcast with them, which will be coming out here in the not-so-distant future, I'd imagine. And then also, if you follow on Instagram, you know we were having our annual roundtable, and we recorded that podcast with a 
with a six-man crew, which was cool. Um, and that podcast will be probably coming out here in the next uh, next few weeks. I have a few things to get out uh, uh, before that one comes out. But today is a super cool show. We're not going to beat around the bush here uh, a whole lot. The, the, actually, let me back up for a second. The one thing I will say, you know, this this time of year, it's you know, hunting season's over. You know, uh, as far as you know, deer hunting goes, and it's kind of you know, gearing up for shed season and maybe getting ready to do a little bit of scouting and stuff like that. But you know, for me here in PA, the weather's been pretty crappy lately, rainy. Uh, kind of you know pretty shitty to be honest so get a little cabin fever this time you're wanting to try to get out and do some stuff but the weather's not always cooperating um and then, i'm going to be honest you know i think i've mentioned this a couple of different times where you know, after the season ends especially you know this year where i had you know tough hunt while i was traveling and stuff like that and just put a lot of time in um, i'm usually ready for a break and it seems like the harrisburg show is always the show that i kind of get jazzed up about like i've been to ata before and, and that's fun you get to see a lot of buddies and stuff like that um, but it's all it's all you know guys that you know that you, that that you know that are you know hardcore hunters and stuff like that. And everyone's almost I think at that point to some degree you know almost on like a a little bit of a burnout of the of the season so to speak. And what's cool about the Harrisburg show is that um, it's a it's a consumer show. It's the biggest consumer show in the U.S. Uh, I'm pretty sure it still holds that um, holds that kind of. Uh, that title, I think they said Saturday, the second Saturday of the show, there was 30,000 people ish that ended up making their way through the, through the gate, which is just phenomenal numbers. Um, but what's really cool about it, whenever you go there and, you know, I was working the Exodus booth and, um, you know, meeting people and, and thanks for those of you out there that, that listened to the show that came out and, uh, stop by the booth to say hello. I always enjoy chatting to you guys, but everyone kind of stops by when they're checking out gear and stuff like that. And they, and they share their hunting stories from the year and, you know, and, we, and you just talk deer hunting with, you know, deer hunters from all over because the show attracts people from, you know, everywhere. Like, you know, people coming in from from New York. You have some people coming in from the south and just it's it's pretty insane. The kind of, you know, the melting pot you have of people from the different places at, the, at this show. And it always kind of like refuels my tank and gets me jazzed up to get ready to get back into like the deer hunting whitetail mindset. Now, I'm not going to lie and say I'm like all the way there where I'm ready to like grab my bow and hit a tree necessarily, you know, for like a 10 day grinder. Um, but it's definitely got me excited and ready to get back, you know, looking for the first opportunity to get back out into the timber and do a little bit of scout and maybe pull the last handful of cards I have in cameras, uh, that I've let soak. You know, I usually kind of set the bow down for like a couple of weeks after the season. Cause I shoot pretty much all year round, but I do take a little bit of a break after the season and kind of just, recalibrate and so forth and it's like today i got home you know and it was it was sunny out it was nice so i grabbed the bow and i went outside and shot for like you know 30 minutes and flung some arrows and it just and it felt good and so that show is always kind of good for that because it's just it's a bunch of like just hardcore outdoorsmen that show up and they want to share their stories with you and and uh and it's just cool man you know and i just really like it so i just want to say thanks to all of you out there that continue to kind of fuel our stoke um you know sharing your stories and stopping by and and and, and talking deer hunting with us but Today's uh, second part of the conversation I had with Zach Farrenbaugh. So, you know, everyone out there I'm sure knows who Zach is. If you listen to the last podcast, you're even more familiar with him. But Zach is the the, the long-haired fella from the hunting public, uh, you know, who hunts a lot from the ground. That whole crew hunts a lot from the ground. And the first part of the podcast, you know, it was really he and I were talking a lot about just public land in general and some missteps and mistakes maybe that have been made and um, things you learn along the way whenever you make some of those mistakes and stuff like that. And as we get into this second part, we definitely get more into specifics around ground hunting, how he approaches it, um, what type of setups you want to look for, how to get set up, like how to play the wind whenever you're when you're trying to, you know, 
um, get in position for a ground setup, how quickly or how slowly you move whenever you're kind of still hunting through to like to to a setup, how you use terrain and vegetation to your advantage and stuff like that. So we get more into the nuts and bolts of how he approaches uh, ground hunting in this session. Um, which is really cool because it's something I've been thinking a lot about. Of course, it's something I'm adding to my bag of tricks, like I've mentioned, and it just was really helpful for me because there's so, some things that he mentions and that we talked about that are, are things that I kind of had thought of or had painfully learned. Like for an example, is just when you're approaching a deer um, for a stalk on the ground versus you know hiking in you know and trying to keep the wind in your face to a degree at some point whenever you're putting on a stock you're trying to hunt from the ground there are there are instances when you're going to have to give the deer the wind more holistically right and that was what kind of you know screwed me in in iowa on the one you know big deer i had seen in that draw in that crp field that's exactly what busted me wind in my face but he was looking in my direction because he had the wind to his back um so in that open country you know it becomes a little bit more challenging to play the wind because you're trying not to get busted with the wind but you're also in a situation where they have an advantage in terms of a visual advantage as well so we talk a little bit about those types of things and scenarios and how you might play some of those things out so with that we're going to jump right to it Again, want to thank Zach for coming on. Super rad for him to come on. Always look forward to talking to him. And of course, want to thank you all for listening. Yeah. But the the one thing I wanted to ask, man, because it's 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 one of those things where I think maybe people when they think about hunting from the ground that they that they maybe overlook a little bit. But you know, when you're talking about terrain features and stuff like that, like you know, I think you know a lot of the people who listen to this podcast probably have a general understanding of terrain and how deer might want to use terrain, whether they're funnels, pinches, whether you're talking about you know benches or you're talking about saddles or whatever the case is, or if you're even just talking about an edge that's created by habitat, you know what I mean that they're going to want to yeah. travel in those areas as like as like your as like your basics, right? But how do yeah. How do you use them as cover when you're when you're hunting from the ground? Because I imagine terrain plays a key in terms of like how you're going to set up and how you're going to move. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So um, I can use. Well, so I guess, I guess just simply put, like terrain oftentimes masks your sound, and you know any ability for the animal to see you it it it, it, it it's like permanent it's the, the most it's the best form of permanent cover is ground right mm-hmm. so like if i'm on the back side of a ridge you know i understand and you know recognizing the fact that like now's my time i'm going to move fast and if i think the deer's on the other side of that ridge i'm moving fast he can't hear me he can't see me mm-hmm. but if he does hear me he probably can't differentiate me from another deer or a turkey or a squirrel. Right. And I've gone as far as this, this season, I started carrying a turkey call with me and just trying to sound like turkeys just on the backside of ridges. Now, I got people, you know, saying, oh, that, that's stupid. You know, you're just drawing more attention to you. Well, I don't believe that to be true. On the backside of a ridge, they don't know the difference between me and a turkey. Right. Now, if I think that deer can actually hear me, then I want to sound like a different animal. I don't want to sound like a human. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm using that terrain to stay hidden, sight and sound. Um, and ultimately, I think, you know, it's kind of ineb- inevitably if you got a whole ridge between you and the deer, it probably can't smell you either. Um, and then a lot of times what I'm doing is I'm just like, you know, I'll move fast on the backside of a ridge, but then as soon as I pop over that, I'll change that speed, that pace, down to like that snail's pace that I've talked about. Like, again, like, I might be running up the backside of the hill. 
I might just be giddy and super excited and been drinking caffeine all this morning, and I'm literally running up this hill. But as soon as I hit that top third, where, you know, and again, I'm using, I'm, I'm, I'm going up an area where I don't think the deer are, but I'm moving towards an area where I do think deer could be. I'm slowing way down. And then it's just a matter of like, okay, how can I continue to hide my body off the backside? That's one of the things that I do all the time when I'm moving uphill is the old like squat, take a couple steps, pop up. Because I don't want my silhouette going across the top mm-hmm. of any horizon at any point. The best way, in my opinion, to prevent that is down and then pop up because you're not, then you're not moving. The only thing that's happening is like a shape is going up. Right. Uh, an example I can use of that is, um, uh, so Grant and I were in Nebraska, we were muzzleloader hunting, so we made this real long stop on this buck and ended up shooting him. And I was telling Grant, I was like, hey, make sure you're doing the down and up, down and up, because if he sees us and he just sees the top of our heads, he's not going to know what we are. But if he sees, like, a consistent movement right towards him across, across the top of the hill, you know, at this time, they still didn't know where, where exactly the deer was. If he sees that, he's gone. So we were going down, crouching way low, keeping the train between us and where we thought the deer was, and then just popping up. You're minimizing movement across the top. Um, and then, you know, let's say, you know, and we ended up, he ended up killing that buck. Awesome hunt. One of my favorite ones of the year. Nice. But anyway, let's say we then, let's change that. Let's change it a habitat uh, example and say we're in big timber, in, in Pennsylvania, maybe like, you know, high points, ridges, secondary ridges, stuff like that. Maybe we think they're going to, these deer are going to be on bench. And maybe you got a west wind coming over the top of a, of a ridge running north and south. And we think that bench right below the top is where we think these deer are going to be bedded. So I make trust over the top of that. First thing I'm going to do is I'm going to stand, I'm going to watch, and I'm going to listen. You know, I now know that I've exposed myself into a different area. Like now sound travels different. It's not getting blocked by the backside of this ridge. Now I'm at the top of that ridge. Right. I gotta now get on that bench. So the first thing I want to do is I want to glass. I'm gonna I mean I'm gonna pick apart every damn stick. Is that a tine? Is that a, is that an ear? Is that a you know a does tail? You know, what is what what's going on down there? And the more you listen, you take that's when you break it down, you almost do and you're still hunting, you're almost doing that setup, right? Like right. That's now almost your setup. You've entered a new world almost. You slow down. Um, and then, you know, maybe you glass and make sure the coast is clear. And it's, again, like taking a, a route where now you can be as quiet as possible, but not just seeing skylines. You don't want to spend a bunch of time on the top. If you drop down, you get on that bench, but slowly. And now that you're in the bench where you think deer might be bedded or trapped, like, now it's a matter of like finding that extremely slow pace of like you're moving you're always thinking where's the next best step is like if i see a buck 60 yards up there moving around how do i get to cover fast right or how can i like or how can i make you know maybe a less than ideal situation can i make that work how can i stick to the shadow and then then it's like it comes into that decision making thing i was talking about earlier it's like you know i may be crashing up ahead of me 60, 70 yards, 100 yards in timber on a bench. I'm taking a couple steps and I'm listening. Listening is an underestimated thing for whitetail hunters because I think that I think you can kind of get 
pretty visual in a in a tree stand. You know, you can sit in a tree stand. You can be like, "Hey, I'm just looking for deer." No, you're not. You, you know, you're listening to, but like, when you move it, I think it's really, really important to not like overlook listening because that can set you off. And if you're moving right, you're always if you're moving perfectly. Now it's hard, and I'm by no means do it right every hunt. If you're doing it perfect though, you're always going to hear the deer before they hear you. Right. Like always. Um, if if they're moving. So, you know, I think get into an area then, and then it's, it's like, you know, keeping that wind in your favor and just moving through, because say you're moving through a bedding area, you're checking that side, you're thinking, okay, you know, I'm trying to get to this saddle that connected, connects this bench to the bench on the other side of the ridge. I'm going to check the sign in that saddle, see if it's worth setting up in there. And if it's worth revisiting, you know, if there's a bunch of really hot signs, maybe like from today, maybe I'm going to really put the brakes on and try to find where the stuck is. And maybe I find a big fresh track in a, in a big open scrape. Like, hey, he's in here today. I need to slow, slow it down. You know, he continued to scout my way through, marking little spots on the map where I'm like, okay, I can come back here and set up or come back here and glass or whatever it may be. But like, hey, you're slowing it down again even more because you now know you're reading that sign the whole way. But there's a lot of situations I get myself in. I spend a bunch of time off then. And this is so funny because I feel like sometimes when I'm with somebody that doesn't have a lot of experience doing this, where it gets really confusing, Justin, I may spend like an hour and a half trying to get on this bench. And all of a sudden I get on this bench and I'm like, well, hell, there's nothing here. <laughs> and then I'm just flying again. And I'm just like plowing right through it. And I think that really confuses some people. I'm like, you know, but it's like, I don't want to waste any time. I recognize, I spent a bunch of time in case they were here, but as soon as they're not, I want to make up that time that I wasted, Right. you know, and just cruise it and get through it. Now, yeah, you're going to make the mistake of like, like one of these times you're like, uh, you're like, oh, he's not in here. Like, no good sign in here. There's no, there's no box betting on this train feature. And then as soon as you think that, you let your guard down and start walking those bus right out of the spot where you just seem you know, void of deer right. happening plenty of time. But, but it's like, there has to be that point where you, you have to recognize that, you know, you're going to try to get as much done in a day as possible. If you're not going to, because if you're scouting, if you're still hunting, you know, I, I don't even like to put the name on it. It's like when you're hunting, right. you know, cause like when you're scouting, you're still, you're hunting, yep. you know, like, so, you know, when you're hunting like that, at least in that style on the ground. You gotta know that you're gonna be covering your ground. You gotta know when to pull off. You gotta know that like this isn't worth my time. I need to keep moving. I need to be as efficient as possible with what I'm doing today. And I think you no, know, I think that's the tough part. I don't think I don't think that you anybody masters it perfectly. You just continue to get better at it. I think, you know, it just comes back into finding that fresh sign. It's the same thing as like setting up, you know, you don't want to set up on that bench if there's no fresh sign on it. You also don't want to be taking an hour to still hunt a whole bench on a ridge, you know, right. below the high point of a ridge because you don't want to take a bunch of time when there's no deer. In there. So right. as soon as you see it's no good, I'm moving on. Right. I think there's one thing, right. you, one thing you mentioned that I think is interesting about, you know, <clears throat> hunting from the ground, you know, and, and just, or even just still hunting your way to a, a setup that you're making your way to if you don't hunt from the ground is that everything and anything is at your disposal to use as cover. 
you know what I mean? Whether yep. it's whether it's a, a terrain feature, whether it's habitat, whether it's sound. Like I know it made me think of when I when I was in Montana on that elk hunt. The bull that we ended up finally killing, my buddy, uh, my buddy Luke and I were on the, on you know, sitting on the side of this mountain, and we had three bulls that were bugling that were going off. And the one we could tell was a herd bull that had his cows with him, and he wasn't going to go anywhere. The other two were satellite bulls that were trying to see if they could pluck a cow here and there, but not get too close mm-hmm. for fear of getting their ass kicked. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so we're calling, and then you know the one bull that we'll just say was to like the left of us you could tell he was kind of moving away, right? The one to the right of us was still, he would come within probably like 80, maybe a hundred yards, right? Like just close enough. And then he would back off and be back out to like 150. And then he would come in a little bit and then he would back off. And at this point, now that we located, we were now cow calling, right? Cause we weren't necessarily mm-hmm. wanting to get him like all pissed off. We were trying to get him to commit. And he clearly was mm-hmm. scared of that herd bull. So there was no way he was going to come into bugling, you know? So we're, okay hitting him with a cow call every so often. And he, and he just wouldn't break that like 80 yard marker. And so my buddy Luke looks at me and he goes, look, man, he was like, he's not going to commit because he thinks he's going to get his ass kicked. If he tries to pluck one of these cows too close to that herd bull, (laughs) he's like, so what we're going to do, he's like, is I'm going to call when he bugles. He's like, we're going to run like hell as fast as we can because we, we, we figured his cadence. It was a bugle and then like two chuckles. Right. And so we knew we could probably run and make it like 20 yards or so, like every bugle. And so we called, mm. he bugled. While he was bugling, we ran because as he's bugling, he can't hear us. You know, and right. so we closed 20 yards. And then we would wait a little bit, and then we would call again. He would bugle. As soon as he would bugle, we would run again. Finally, we broke the distance. And once we broke that like 80 to 60-yard mark on him, he started committing. We could hear him getting closer. And so it was just that mm. like it was using that his own vocalization against him, you know, as cover, yeah. you know what I mean? To close the distance, to be able to get a shot, <coughs> shot opportunity. And I think that that's the interesting thing about hunting from the ground is that like, it's the ultimate, ultimate MacGyver move. Like it's whatever, you, can, it's yeah. whatever you can happen to use that's at your disposal. Like you didn't bring it with you. You're just going to make something happen, which is just really interesting yeah. to me. Yeah, for sure. And I, I mean, how that relates to deer, I mean, I could pull out a ton of examples I've cut distance using a deer's move to, you know, is, you know, basically using it against him. It's like, anytime a deer's moving, they they can't see, man. Like, that's the other thing about hunting off the ground. It's like, everybody's just like, oh, you're going to get spotted. That's the reason you hunt out of a tree stand in the first place. You don't get spotted. It's like, they can't see you. They can't. They see movement. Right, but they can't just pick you out very well. Not that's the well reason why they, they that you'll find them staring directly at you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like just looking at you, and you're like, "Do they see me or do they not?" It's like, well, they see a thing. They're looking. Right. Like they're they don't see things the way that we do. They can't like they you know they, if you read any and I'm no expert on it. I'm not about to sit here and give a bunch of facts on deer fighting. But you know, oh, come on now, give me give me your cones and rods explanation here. <laughs> <laughs> right, <laughs> but it's like. You know, anything you read about it, like they're, they're say, you know, in the simplest form, you're seeing movement. Right. And, and like, as long as you're like reading a deer, and again, this comes with experience, but it's like something that I love about like hunting off the ground is just that freedom of like not knowing exactly when. But like when you're in the groove, man, you're in the groove. And like when you spot one and you feel like you're in a position, you can, you're reading that deer. 
you're moving in and you're cutting distance and like, okay, head down, I'm going to move. No, I'm going to move up to that shadow. And when I get to that shadow, I'm going to bend over that piece of grass and when I draw, it doesn't get hooked on my, on my, you know, bow. Okay, I made it to that spot. I did all those things. Now he's taking a couple steps to the left with his head down and then move to that shadow. And it's like, it's again, it comes down to that constant, like, decision-making and you just are reading that animal. And so it, 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 it's like it's so much more intense, really, mm-hmm. than, you know, sitting in a stationary position. Um, it's just like you're, it feels more like, my, my buddy Grant and I made up this joke because we did, we did a bunch of hunting like this the other years. Like, it's just like, it's, it's, it's a predator style of hunting. You know, you're truly being a predator. You're not, you're not just like waiting. You're going to, going to kill stuff. Like, it's, it's like a totally different demeanor than just sitting back and waiting. It's like, you're going to it. And it's like, one of the things that I did want to point out too, before I forget is like visuals and like, how to just keep eyes on stuff and how important it is to keep eyes and visuals on stuff. Now, obviously in timber, you know, you're going to lose stuff, but like staying right in the same, you know, uh, um, you know, staying to where you can see stuff, you can keep tabs on. It's like, so if I'm looking at a stalking route, say if I'm here and, and uh, you know, maybe a patch of CRP or something, like, I'm not going to necessarily try to put myself in a position where I can't keep checking that deer. Nothing stresses me out more than moving in on stock and not being completely convinced that he's still there. Right. You know, it's like it's a hard position to be in. You want to know that he's still there. So you want to try to keep visual on whatever you see now. That being said, there's going to be a situation, too, where maybe you've got a... Well, here, here's a great, here's a great example, and I think it's playing. Like, okay, what if I do something? So this is a little bit more specific to, like, uh, well, no, it isn't. So, and I, I, didn't, I haven't done this as much as other people that I have talked to about ground hunting, and, and specifically Jake and Ted um, from, you know, the hunting public. So one of the things that they do is they spook stuff, and then they just go right back after them. Uh, basically, they're getting that visual by a hard spook. Like, the deer, you know, saw, heard, smelled, or all three, and it's right. running out from them. And, like, what they'll do is they'll just go. And, and, and Jared Scheffler from uh, uh, Whitetail Adrenaline, um, who I mentioned, you know, I mentioned Whitetail Adrenaline earlier, yep. does a lot of ground hunting. It's one of the things that, you know, we learned from him listening to him talk about it on podcasts and stuff. Like, you know, he's. He just will go right at, right back at them. Because mm-hmm. a lot of times deer, you know, they'll put a terrain feature, they'll put a habitat feature between you and them, and they're going to slow down. Like, they don't run. You know, everybody's heard the term, like, busting them out of the county. It's right. never happened in the history of whitetail. <laughs> you know, <laughs> <Right>. like, <laughs> may, 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 well, maybe when people are blasting at them with guns and stuff, it's a different story. But, like, right. you know, when, when you're bow hunting in October, November, you know, even even lighter season. You're bow hunting and you bump deer. Like, they do have to stop at some point. I'm, like, just breaking that down. I'm thinking, okay, where is the next best place? You could be amazed, dude, at how many times Ted and Jake this past season bumped deer, watched them run away, 
and then got right back on them <laughs> just by thinking, where's the next spot? Right. And I think that that is like a really cool thing that, you know, I've always told myself I want to try to do more of, but I haven't done a ton of it. I've done it. And it definitely, I've definitely made it work, but like they did it a lot to the point where it's like, you know, like, it's worth just trying to bump. Yeah. You know, it is. Especially, especially when they get those, like, Right, right. Yeah, that was one thing. I, it's funny you mentioned Jared because actually, I just I just talked to him last night and had him had him on the show. Yeah, no um, kidding. Yeah, which which was cool. Um, and we talked a little bit about you know keeping visual and stuff like that. And that's one of the things that I think for me that will be probably like one of the biggest like differences. Right, is constantly trying to keep an eye when I do locate something. Right, it, is making sure that I'm yeah. watching where it's at. Not only that, but like. How is it, it, does it bed down? How is it bedding down? Making sure there's no other deer with it, or if there is a deer with it, if, you know, is the doe going to move? And mm-hmm. one thing that he had mentioned that I thought was interesting was that, you know, he basically, you know, he was saying he likes to be able to put a visual on a deer, like just say like you go out in the morning or whatever, and he'll find one at first light or whatever, and they'll bed down. Mm-hmm. Now he said basically like he's going to sit and watch and not put that stock on because typically he was like, they're going to bed down and just call it seven, eight o'clock, whatever the time is. He's like, and then a lot of times what he's found is like, they're getting back up by like 10 and then they're moving. He's like, so you don't want to get caught in that stock in between. Like whenever they decide to make that like secondary morning move or whatever, he's like, you want to be kind of positioned to be able to like watch where they go. And then they bed down again and then be able to make your move, Uh, which I thought was kind of, I I thought was kind of interesting. I, I agree with that. I think, I mean, when you're when you're specifically talking about bedded bucks, it's like bedded deer in general. It's like they shift a lot more than than I think we think, and sometimes they shift big, you know, big areas. You know, they may shift a whole like ridge. They may drop down into a major valley and shift ridge sides just based off of where the sun is, you know, where the warmest area on the hill is that day or at that given part of the day. And I think. You know, conditions change throughout the morning. That's a really good point. No, it's like, you know, just being, not getting, not getting to a point where you get so aggressive that you lose track. Right. You know what I mean? I, I, I agree with, with that statement. I think, I mean, I really do think that Jared is like, I, I, I respect the hell out of the way that guy hunts is because I do feel like I've been able to pick up on a lot of things and, and have the confidence to go do what I do. If it wasn't for him and those videos, I don't know that I would have done it this early in my life, you know? And right. I think I, I owe a lot of it to, you know, those guys and their videos. And, and I, you know, I, I, I guess the reason I say it so much is because I don't, <laughs> I like, I like quite tell general videos better than our videos. <laughs> <laughs> and I do like they're way more entertaining. They're way more entertaining. And I get the craziest footage I've ever seen. And like, <laughs> it's because they got a group of guys that really knows, you know, how to hunt off the ground. And, and I think it's pretty cool stuff. And I think that, you know, you can, uh, you can always learn from other people doing something similar to what you're doing. So, right. you know, I always try to try to make sure people, people know about their stuff and also know that like, you know, I'm definitely taking a lot away from what they're doing. I've learned a lot from them too. 
This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Oh, I mean, I think that's one of the cool things about, you know, just, you know, the hunting culture in the group. Um, you know, more, you know, I think it's the larger majority is like everyone's, you know, willing to teach and, you know, especially if someone shows an interest in learning and stuff like that. And so it's interesting to hear that you, you know, you've picked up stuff from those guys. And it's, I talked to him yesterday and I, you know, you and I have talked, you know, on, on a couple of different occasions and you're paying it forward now to me, which I'm trying to pay it forward to the people who listen to this, you know what I mean? To where it's like, mm-hmm. you know, cause he may have, you know, you may have picked up stuff from him and it's like, and now I'm talking to you and it's like, now I'm trying to add it to my bag of tricks. Right. So it's like, we just all kind of continue to try to pay the, the, the goodwill forward and, and, you know, keep the, keep the fire burning, if you will, you know? For sure. For yeah. sure. But, uh, so how much so, more time do you have before your plane departs, man? I don't want, I don't want you to miss your flight. No, it's good. I, I mean, I'll probably be good for, so it is 6.30 here. My flight starts boarding at like 7.30, so maybe a little after 7, probably wrap up. But Okay. So, so your time that would be a little after nine, no, probably. Yeah, yeah. So I just I got a couple, just a couple more questions that I wanted to follow up on. Dude, here. I'm I, no, I, I'm totally down for answering more questions. Like I'm, like you said, I'm having a good time, and I like talking about this type of stuff. So yeah, yeah. like as many questions as you want before <laughs> before about seven, ten or fifteen. Right. <laughs> nice. <laughs> So the next thing I wanted to, wanted to kind of think about or that I was thinking thinking of when I think about, you know, trying to add this in to the to the to the bag of tricks is, you know, when you say say you're, you know, we've already kind of covered like how you're getting you're not getting to a spot in mind. You're kind of, you know, still hunting, scouting combination of slowing down, speeding up based on what you're seeing, et cetera, you know, but say you, you know, for example, you get to a spot where it's just like undeniable. You got a bunch of fresh scrapes, a bunch of fresh rubs, you know, you're in like a bedding area or whatever, and you know, like, okay. And maybe it's, maybe it's in the evening, right. And you're just on the outskirts of a bedding area that you know, they're going to be making their way out of that bedding area and you're going to set up. Right. So when you go to, you know, talk to me about how you'll set up what you're looking for, in a setup and then specifically do you prefer to have setups where you're sitting or do you prefer to have them where they're where they're stand where you're standing oh, or is it just completely yeah, dependent yeah. Okay. on what's what what's available <coughs> that's a great question um if i can be standing first off always going to be standing uh for one it's more comfortable for me um you know you're not hunched up you can be you can move around a little bit i like to be able to move in a setup 
Um, most people would say you're moving way too much, and like, you know, I disagree. But like, I move a lot. Like, I stand, and I crouch, sit, and move. You know, I'm just constantly. I get up on trees a lot. Like, if I can stand up on a stump and get, you know, two three feet, you know, taller, I'm gonna do that. Um, but like, you know, the ideal setup has some factors to it. Like usually has the ability to stand up and have your lower half covered in the simplest form. Like basically you find a little spot that's about the size of a beer bed. A lot of times it is a beer bed. Right. Um, so you're basically like tucked up to maybe you've got some uh, multi-floral rose bush around you. And when you're standing in that bush, you can look over. But when you crouch, you can look over it, but your lower half is covered. And as soon as you see the air movement, you can slowly crouch into that cover. Now, that, once you've crouched into that cover, the things that are important when I'm looking for a spot set up, number one, can I get that bow drawn back in a lot of different directions? Like, can I shoot at least 180 degrees around me? And the reason I like to do that is because, and one other thing that I will say, and I, I mean, I will I would rather spook a deer from practice drawing too much than to not practice draw. Practice draw your bow in ground setups, tree stand setups, in any setup that you got, like draw that damn thing. Because as soon as you don't, you get complacent, that's when you bounce your arrow off that multiple rose bush that you're covering. Right. And I don't want, I don't want that for you. Um, you know, draw, make sure you can get that bow moved around. Make sure you're not getting it hung up on stuff. Uh, make sure you're not going to bounce your cam off the down tree and, you know, the log that you're using to cover. Like, there's so many different things that you want to make sure that, you know, you can, you want to make sure you can move that bow around. That's super important. But, um, you know, horizontal and vertical cover, then, is the next thing. Is like, if you can mix, like, in the timber setting, trying to relate a lot of it to timber just because, for one, I know that's, like, your situation right. often, and then, um, just a lot of Eastern in general, um, yeah, you know, I think it's their situation also. It's just timber. Like, if you're in a position where you've got, uh, say you've got a, a downed tree, it's got, you know, a big log, and then it gets to the top of the tree, and it's got, you know, a bunch of bigger branches. And it's kind of rotten. But, you know, it's just something that when a deer looks at it, it can't just say, you know, or, or let me take a step back. When you're looking through the woods, I always say you're looking for, when you're looking for deer, whether you, you know it or not, or you say it or not out loud, it's like you're looking for horizon, horizontal shape in an otherwise vertical world. And where that gets tough to pick deer out is when horizontal shapes and vertical shapes start mixing up. If you're looking through the timber and you see what is, you know, multiple different shapes, in different directions, all in one spot. That's that's cover, because a deer, especially when it scans through that, does not outshape, does not pick a stubby human in, in that tree top, you know. But it will pick out a, a human sitting on the ground in um, just a just a general stand of maples, for example, where you know everything going vertical, and then you're sitting on your knees. You know, this ball of, you know, human, and you stick out. But if you mix that horizontal and vertical cover, 
then you blend so much better. It doesn't matter if you're wearing a ghillie suit or not when that's the case. Right. You know, it doesn't matter if the timber, timber can be completely open. So you get that one patch of cover with that down tree, and you're just, you know, maybe standing up in that, in that down tree or something. You know, and that, then you've got all those factors. You've got horizontal cover. You can stand up. You can crouch down. You can draw. And you've got all that stuff here in what I consider the perfect ground setup, you know. And I think uh, just a lot of times, you'd be surprised, too, how much you can get away with as far as, like, how little horizontal cover there needs to be. You know, it's like sometimes, <clears throat> sometimes it might just be, like, you know, maybe an October windstorm came through and blew like one little branch off and there's one big tree, one big oak tree, and one of its branches lay on the ground. That's that horizontal and vertical cover. I can hide most of my body behind that big oak tree base on the trunk. But then if I need to shoot, I can just use that little bit of horizontal cover with that, you know, limb with leaves still on it, kind of hanging up the trunk. And maybe, or maybe I just pick it up and move it over and then create my own cover. You know, just trying to get that break up, but still being able to shoot, that's the key. I feel like uh, it's easy to jam yourself in a position where, you know, you kind of jam, you're trying to get too much cover, and then you can't shoot out of it. Right. Again, I mean, dude, I will, I mean, I feel like the older I get, the more I just, like, preach this. Draw your damn bow. Just make sure you do it. You know what I mean, though? Right. It's like, it's so easy to mess up. I'm like, you know, I think I think some people, I don't know, maybe this isn't true, but I feel like some people love to make, like, yeah, bounce my cam off the tree limb as an excuse. Like, that. I don't want that to be an excuse. I don't want to tell people that. Right. And I don't want anybody else to tell people that. Like, I want you to kill the damn deer because you drew your bow back in the setup. And again, whether that's in the tree stand or in the ground, like, don't make that mistake. It's such an avoidable mistake. Yeah. And I tell people that all the time just get comfortable. And then because the more you do that, then the more you're going to be able to open your door to do things like still hunting or stock hunting where maybe you're making a stock. Maybe you've drawn your bow and a bunch of stuff, but then all of a sudden you finally get that opportunity where you will watch a buck. So if you're in a ground setup or in the tree stand, whatever, you watch a buck bed down with a doe. And you know right where he's at. In my opinion, there's no better situation to be in. Because now you know right where he's at, and now it's game on, baby. Now all you got to do is get inside of 30 yards of that thing. And it's always doable. There's always an angle on him. Right. But say you're in that position, and you're moving in, and we get to about 50, maybe it's like 52 yards. Right as you get there, all of a sudden, Joe stands up. The buck stands up. He starts pushing. Well, if all of a sudden you're in a position where you're like, oh, man, i got to make this work right now. You've drawn your bow in so many different situations on the ground, so many setups on the ground that it just becomes natural. And you don't mess that up because if you don't practice it, then you're going to find yourself in that situation where you're on the ground, all of a sudden start, stuff starts unfolding. Like, you're not in the right position. Every step I make in the woods, I'm thinking about where my bow is. I'm not only thinking about where my bow is, I'm thinking about, where my elbow is when I draw that bow, and I'm thinking about how if all of a sudden all hell breaks loose, and in a matter of seconds, I got a buck at seven yards, how can I shoot this thing? You should be thinking about that every step. And the one way that you're going to improve your ability to be effective in that situation is to draw your bow like nonstop. Draw the bow. I mean, I, 
<laughs> I, it would probably be ri- ridiculous to know how many times I've drawn my bow. To- you guys should make a video, a, a montage cut up of just how often you draw your bow. Like, <laughs> I mean, it would be hilarious. It would be hilarious. Nice. Because like, I, I just think that then you get to a position, you really do it. So I don't know. I don't know how much, uh, much you watch our videos, but I shot a buck in New York that I, yep. I stopped and I was, I was making a move and, and he jumped towards me. Car kind of got him spooky. And he jumped towards me. Well, just again, I was reading that deer. I was moving in on him because he'd stood up at the doe. I'm watching his eye. I'm watching his antler tip. Every time he's not looking at me, I'm just moving in. I can see the doe's ears. I'm just reading that. I'm moving in. Every time I get to a spot where I'm in the shadow, I tuck up into that shadow and make sure my arms are free. And right when I got into one of those spots, when that sucker stands up, or no, I was mid-move, but I was moving to a spot. I see him jump, and as soon as I see him jump, I like basically dove for that spot. Like I just slid into it and got my arms ready, get my arms up for the shot. And he runs right up, and he see—I mean, he sees something that's there. He doesn't know what it is, and he's looking at me now. Again, if I wouldn't have been, you know, if I wasn't so conscious of where my arms were, I could have totally been in a position where I wasn't with, up with the bow up. I wouldn't have my arrow pointed right at him, but I had the arrow pointed right at him. Police is on the string, and my arms are ready for draw at any second I get the chance to do it. As soon as I get that chance, I'm ready. Now, I could have been not paying attention or panicked and just hit the dirt, but I got into a shadow and I sat and I held still. And he looked at me. He didn't know what I was. You know, I was in the shadow. I'm using the limited cover. Again, very limited cover. But I'm using what I have to my advantage. I'm patient. And as soon as he gave me a window, it was a tiny little window. I just drew that boat right back. And I was, and I was, it was perfectly, you know, I visualized every time I draw that boat too, a situation where I'm thinking, okay, I'm visualizing that, but what is he doing? Is I visualize it, and because of doing that hundreds and hundreds of times, when the situation was finally there, I did it like it was, when he was done. I knew he was dead before. As soon as he started looking, even giving the slightest attention back towards that doe, I knew I was going to get a chance as long as I just held my ground and was patient. You know, and I think a lot of that comes from drawing that bow, man. It really does, like, yeah. Because all of a sudden, you'll draw your bow and you'll be like, oh, that's something that could have went wrong that I would have never guessed it was going to go wrong. Yeah. How can I avoid that the next time? Yeah. Important. Important. And I'm, in a, in a, I'm not, I guess I'm not necessarily telling you or anybody specifically. I just think that, you know, as a, as a new bow hunter, I wish somebody, you know, my dad always told me to do it and I did it. But like, I do it so much now and I've been bow hunting for a long time. Right. Like a really long time. It's like, you know, I'm doing it more now than I was when I was, you know, probably needing to do it more, you know, when I was like a teenager. I should have been doing it more then, but I'm actually doing it more now Hopefully. because I realized the value in it. Right. You know? Yeah, it's it's important. I mean, I think the other, you know, it, it's even when you're cold, you should try <coughs> to make sure that your muscles yeah. are able to contract to get the bow back, if nothing else. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like, I know in the one ground setup I had this year, you know, it was, I got in, it was, I had some good, you know, vertical and some good horizontal cover. It actually was like some trees that had blown down during a windstorm that just made like a nasty mess. And there was just actually an open area in the center of it. So I was able to kind of slip into that, that I had some lice, you know, just a couple of shooting windows to where there was some pretty heavily traveled, you know, trails that were kind of out in front of me. 
And once I got in there and had a bunch of, you know, kind of multi-floor rows that was around it too. So I made my way into it. And so as soon as I got in there, I started drawing, you know, to make sure I was going to be all right. Now I could get back and get drawn, but the, the, the thing that I'm glad I checked first was that once I got back on my way back, I got hung up in briars and you could hear the briars like as I was trying to get yeah. drawn. And so if I wouldn't have done that prior to, you know, a deer showing up, which I didn't even see anything that night, but if it had, and I hadn't done a test draw, I would have tried to draw back and totally would have made enough noise where the deer <laughs> would have known that I was there. You know what I mean? And that might've been yep. all I needed, you know, or that, that it needed to, to spook out before I had a chance to release the arrow. You know what I mean? So it's, it's just, oh, yeah. it's important. And I agree with you. Like the older I get, like the more I, the more I'm willing to draw, like I'll pick it up every so often just and draw it to make sure, especially when it's cold out to make sure that I'm going to be able to oh, yeah. effectively get it back. You know, it also yeah. determines too. It's like, if I need to shed a layer, like I'll be cold versus not be able to draw my bow back. So it's like, if it's sure, cold dude. out and, sure. and I have like too much clothing on and I go to draw and I'm struggling to get it back. It's like, I'll be like, all right, cool. looks like I'm taking an insulation layer off or something because I, I need to be able to get my bow back. So, yeah. And I think, I mean, you know, I don't, I don't know how much gun hunting you do, but I also do a lot of, I mean, same thing goes for your gun. You know, I think I, I watch you all guys with gun hunt lessons. You know, aim at gun every once in a while, like pick a spot, pull that, yep. you know, like get comfortable with that weapon. I think like you visualize. And I mean, I remember my dad and, 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 and um, uh, you know, sport, cause I remember my dad really being the first person to ever tell me to do it. Uh, but other, you know, sports coaches and stuff like throughout school, it was like, hey, visualize what yourself doing good. I remember my dad telling me that before a football game, right? You know, right before a football game, visualize yourself like tackling that running back. Visualize yourself like reading that play perfectly. And every night, or you know, every year that I play football and baseball, I visualize making contact with the baseball, visualize getting the ground ball, I visualize attacking the quarterback, intercepting the ball, whatever. And, like, because I did that, when it was game time, that, that felt more natural. Mm-hmm. You know, it didn't feel like, oh, wow, I did it. It was like, that's what I do. Yep. And I think that that comes into hunting, too. And it's like, totally. yeah, a lot. It's like, if you visualize, like, I go to bed even in March, you know, and I think about that's how I go to bed at night. Every night as I visualize, you know, my idea of the perfect hunting situation. Mm-hmm. And every night it's something a little bit different, but I really do think that that comes into play. And I, every time I draw my bow, in my mind I'm shooting something. Right. You know, I'm watching. I'm, I think I'm really good at, you know, like just at visualizing. You know, I can, I can in my head, I can pick out exactly how that deer is going to be moving through there when I'm going to draw when his head's going to go behind uh, a tree when I'm going to pull back when I'm going to you know how I'm going to settle the pin how far which pin I'm aiming at how I'm going to pull that trigger you know I'm going to watch that arrow go into it but I'm going to watch him run off perfect you know and like I just I think that's it's a weird it's a weird mental game but it like really makes you yeah. mentally stronger uh, when you actually get in the game yeah totally man i mean i think and i think that that's just good advice and good practice just in life like no matter what it yeah, is, you know what seriously I mean? it's like, yeah you just you know, right if you believe it you can make it you know it, it can happen 
You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, so whether it's you have a presentation at work or whatever, if you visualize yourself killing mm-hmm. the presentation, like you're likely to go kill it. But if you visualize yourself failing and, and you're full of nerves and like, then you can expect that that's yeah. going to be the scenario. Like you will, you will manifest your own reality. You know what I mean? Is essentially, yeah. essentially what it is, you know? And, yeah. you know, and I a hundred percent believe that. And I do, I do similar <clears> things like whenever I'm going to go hunt and I'm, I'll, I'll try to pick, you know, things out and I'll do it in the off season as well. One of the things where I really started doing it, I don't know. I think you might know. A good buddy of mine lives around here. We actually live close together. Greg Litzinger. Do you know him? He goes by the bow hunting field. Yep. You know Greg? Yeah, I, yeah. I talk with Greg often. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He's a good good buddy of mine. Like he's been kind of my archery sensei, if you will. Like as I mm-hmm. got more into bow hunting, I be, I actually got more into archery at the same at the same time. Like once you know, it kind of one obsession kind of led into another, and so sure. I've really been kind of focusing on making some transitions like to become a better archer to complement like becoming a better bow hunter that way i can execute you know the shots i need to execute whenever opportunities are provided right and Mm -hmm. this past year i switched to shooting back tension release you know and so Mm -hmm. i worked with greg a lot to kind of make that transition and, and and stuff like that and we went to the range and shot and i shot a lot with my eyes closed you know what i mean like where i'm standing like five feet off of a target where I don't even have a sight on my bow, you know what I mean? And I don't have a, mm-hmm. you know, a stabilizer or anything, just me kind of, yeah. you know, blank bailing with my eyes closed just to visualize that shot, a perfect shot every time, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah. And it yeah. was, it was incredible because, you know, now it's like when I shoot it, it's like, I don't want to say it's autopilot because I'm controlling the shot, but it's like, I'm so confident when I pull that thing back. Now people would argue that cause I missed the deer twice while I was in Iowa, but it was, sure. but now it's like, you know, even with those misses, it was like, whenever I finally killed it was, I wasn't like, I, ne- the thought never crossed my mind that I wasn't going to, that I wasn't going to kill. Dude, dude, yeah. I, I, I can't, I, I have a, I had a similar, like not, not experience as far as like, you know, I think the visualization is slightly different as far as like how you get there, but it's like here, I told I'm, I told a lot of people like every time I pulled the trigger, this year it was like like whether it was bow or gun or whatever like that is a perfect shot it was it was like i know exactly what you mean by that autopilot thing it's not similar like you said it's not it's not necessarily what's happening but it's like it's so much more instinctive it's so much more just like you feeling confident you draw it back or you pull the gun up you just shoot and i don't know how to even explain that necessarily until you've got there but it's like when you do, it's a good feeling because it's like you know you never miss. Head, right. you don't. Right. You know what I mean? Like you're still gonna mess up, but right. like when you pull it back and you have that confidence, it's like a whole different, it's like a whole different level of shooting. That was like you're so confident, so confident. It's awesome. It's a great feeling to be in that. It, in it, that, uh, it, it's what I would equate to like those who do sports, you know, or have played sports in the past, it's like of being in the zone where it's like you have that game. Yeah. Where it's just like you cannot you cannot miss, you know, or like you're throwing, you're throwing, you're throwing BBs in a baseball game or, you know, I grappled, yeah. I wrestled growing up. And so it was just like yeah. everything, everything the opponent did, like I could feel their weight shift and I understood exactly where I needed to be to gain leverage. And it was just like things like that. Or like, you know, I could see when he was going to step before he stepped so I could set up a shot or whatever. It's just like, mm-hmm. it's when everything slows down so much so that it almost feels like you did, you weren't even there. Yeah. You know? That's a real, yeah, it's a really good, you know, I remember, I remember, yeah, I love, I do love, like, so I, I I don't watch a lot of sports, but I love 
playing them. Right. You know, that's what where I'm at. I love playing baseball and football, and I love anytime I can relate like those experiences that you get in, from that to like life in general, or just like or in hunting. It's like you know, uh, I, I feel I feel exactly the same way. Like, and I one one specific thing that I think about is like I remember like first time you know when I was a sophomore, I was playing playing linebacker um, on the varsity team. I'm a very big kid, but I love to hit people as hard as I could. And I remember the, uh, you know, people telling me, you know, like, it's going to be fast. Like, your first varsity play is going to be fast. And I remember it just being like, the moment it was over. It was like, whoa. <laughs> you know, like, it, it, that was fast. But then I remember by the time, you know, even by the time at the end of that season, it slowed down a lot. And then by the time, you know, my junior year rolled around and slowed down a lot. But then by the time I was a senior, the time I played my last game as a senior, it was just like, this This is so, this is like playing, this is, feels like the speed that it was when I was playing, like, middle school football. You know, I, I, right. if you get that experience, you get, like you said, in the zone to where, like, it's not fast anymore. It's not like, it's like, you basically can control your adrenaline, right? You mm-hmm. get full-on grasp of your adrenaline. I think at least in a, in a, you know, I would assume the same thing in wrestling. And, but even in baseball, you know, you adrenaline when you have to bat or a ball comes at you, you get that rush. And if you don't know how to control that in, in, in any sport, yeah. yep. you don't know how to control that rush, then you're going to start failing. But like you visualize, you go into that sport and you think, hey, I'm going to go, and I'm going to do good, and I'm going to you know, do this exactly the way that I was taught in practice, I'm going to execute perfectly. You get in the game, you do it. Same thing with hunting, you know. Yeah. The adrenaline rush is going to get there. Buck fever is a real thing. You know? oh, 100%, like, you're gonna, man. Gonna, no doubt. You're gonna feel, your legs are going to feel like they're not even on your body. All of a sudden, your brain feels like <laughs> exploding. But but if you can control that enough to have to harness it, then, like, you just have gotten into a, you know, a, 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 just a different level, I think. But it's just, again, it just comes with experience and just, like, I really do think experience and visualizing and all that stuff. And then you get in the game, man, you play perfect. And I like, I really, and I think I, I really do feel, like, I'm, I'll remember 2019 as the season that like, I was going to do, I was going to do, I was going to do it. You know, it was like the opportunity was there. It was going to happen. There was not even a question. I mean, and I, and I, I think this is like a good thing. And I, I, I I guess I, I I want people to also feel this way. It's like when I was hunting with my buddies, you know, with at PHP or some of my buddies like from Ohio and stuff. It's like we were we were like saying stuff that was so confident that like we're trying to sound cocky. Now I wouldn't tell a bunch of people the stuff that we were saying necessarily because it would sound completely arrogant. But like that's the attitude that I think you should have when you're with, you know, with yourself or your buddies, like, go in there and you're going to get one. You're going to walk into that piece of public and that, and that wood lot you got permission for it. And you're going to kill the biggest spot. And don't, now, don't go around telling everybody that or people are going to think you're crazy, but, like, every hunt, go in with that mentality. Seriously. And it, it, it really, like, and I don't, I really don't want people to think that we were, like, being cocky or disrespectful or anything. We just have that confidence that, hey, we can get eyes on one or we can get into a good position. Like we are going to do it. 
Well, yeah, I think I think get awesome footage. We're gonna we're gonna make a perfect shot, and it's gonna be awesome. And this is some great mentality. I think we should have. I th- and well, I think it also plays into the, like the mobile the mobile factor too. Whether you're in a stand, a saddle, or on the ground, or whatever. You know, that was one of the things, you know, for me personally, that was like a little bit of a, you know, that helped me kind of get over the hump specifically this year was that, you know, some buddies who, you know, their motto is, is like, if you're, if you're going in, you're in your hunt and you get to a spot and you don't think you're going to kill, then why the hell are you there? You know, and that's yeah. that same mentality of a mobile hunter, you know, where it's like, if it's not the right spot, don't dwell on it, go to the next best spot and keep going until you find the, until you find the right spot. And once you get to the spot where you go, I'm going to kill here. That's where you, and then that's, that's where you plan to kill, you know? And so that was, that was kind of like my mentality, you know, through the whole, through all of 2019, you know, it was kind of a watershed year for me from that, from that perspective of trusting my instincts, you know, reading the sign, being aggressive, visualizing what was going to happen. Even whenever I missed a couple of times on that Iowa trip, like I just, I, I stayed as positive as I could. And I was just like, every day I walked out going, I'm going to kill. Cause it was 15 days of all day hunts. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, yeah. it just, you know, it was every day. And I remember, you know, as, as stupid as this might sound, but I was getting ready to get in my truck to go on the last hunt. I started packing up camp like that morning before I went out for that last hunt. Cause I was like, I need to pack up and kind of get ready, everything ready to roll. Cause I had to leave the next morning at like 4am. And I was hopping in the truck. I think it was like around 11 o'clock. Um, and I was going out for the evening and I was, I was hopping in my truck. And as I was getting ready to get in, I said to myself, I was like, all right, let's go kill tonight. I literally said it out, out loud to myself. You know what I mean? Like if someone would have probably yeah. thought that I was a crazy person, you know, and yeah. sure enough, you know, it, it happened. And so it's like you manifest your own reality. I just kept telling myself that every day that, that it was going to happen. And then, you know, yeah. lo and behold, it did. So, but man, it gets me fired. I, I just want to say one thing real quick. It's just like, it gets me so fired up to have that mentality. And like, you know, I know a lot of guys, especially bow hunters, you know, like to bow hunt solo and, and go alone. And I, and I totally get that and respect that. And I, I understand that because I have a desire too to go alone. But like, if you want to see something funny that, and, and especially after like, I've been talking about this like attitude of just like, you know, overconfidence. Go back and watch the video where um, we got the buck and we were seven miles deep in Nebraska public and we shot that buck. And watch our demeanor after we see that deer and watch how like, like it, it's funny to me to watch it because it's just like these dudes are just so fired up. Like <laughs> not just me, not just Ted, not just Grant. It was like the the four of us were so fired up and like, you couldn't have brought us down. You couldn't have brought us down no matter what happened. We were going to go in there and we were going to be successful. Right. And I truly believe even if we wouldn't have walked seven miles out of there without a deer, we would have been successful because we had that mentality. And I think, I think that goes a long way. I really do. And if, I think it's funny if you watch that video and you'll definitely be able to see exactly what I'm talking about. Like the look on our faces, the giddiness, the way we take off run, and it's like we are we are about we are in the zone, man. And it's right. awesome. Yeah, I think it's it's you know I do a lot of bow hunting by myself just by the nature of like where I live and there's not very many people around. But mm-hmm. I think the important thing is is like you know having some road dogs that like to hunt like you that get down like you do. You know what I mean? Because they're mm-hmm. especially if you like to grind. You know what I mean? Like not everyone's fit for that or suited for that. You know because it, it takes a positive right. a positive mental attitude. That's why. You know, for me, it's like, you know, 
you know, I do a lot of hunting. I know you know this guy too. It's funny we know a lot of the same people, which is interesting. But is uh, uh Chad Sylvester is a good buddy of mine, and uh, mm-hmm. and he and I go usually. We make a trip to Ohio every year, unless I'm like doing an Iowa trip where I had points for or whatever. And there's a big piece of public he and I like to hunt together um, that we usually take a trip to. And we're doing it. We're going back this year. And the place whooped my ass last year, or not last year, but two years ago oh, yeah. when we got there. And uh, I'm sure you know where it's where it's at, but. It's, uh, oh, I can't, I can't make it. I can't make any sense of it. Yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> so we're 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 bound and determined to like tackle it again this year. Um, I'll see him at the Harrisburg show, and we're kind of ro- we're road mapping like our next five years of like the hunts we want to do together. Um, it's just because it's he's one of those dudes, you know, and vice versa that we found that where it's like, okay, you like to have really shitty tough hunts, you know what I mean, and yeah. and you don't yeah. get down, and you like the grind, and you get fired up, you know, and you're and you're ready to roll. Like every morning, you wake up and you're just ready, you know, ready to spit bullets, you know, and uh, and so it's yeah, important. Yeah, I mean, it's a weird. Guy. It's yeah, and it's like it's such a weird. It's such a weird. Uh, I don't know. I feel like I can relate it so well to like, you know, having getting with your teammates before a sporting event and getting fired up and like getting, yeah, like you're getting almost mean, a little nasty. Like you're about to go shoot something in the chest cafe. Like (laughs) you gotta be a little crazy and you you should, you should get fired up. You should get excited because I think it makes it fun and it keeps you going. And I think, you know, feeding off that challenge and that mistake and that failure, you know, I love, so, so, um, you know, we, I look back every year and I look at the tags we didn't fill. And, um, you know, they fire me up. And I, I, like I said, I think about them for a whole year. And at some point throughout every day, I guarantee I'll think about it <laughs> until I get to try it again. And I think, you know, hunting with a group of guys that you know is also going to do that. And, right. You know, get as fired up about it as possible. It's like, and, and again, even if you're alone, but you have a guy in your camp, it's like you feed off that yep. energy and you go in and you hunt, you know, the best you can and i think i think it's, that's really cool yeah and i think if there's something that i feel like this year i really got like yeah. uh got even more fired up i guess it's just that mentality in general yeah i might be a little sadistic because i actually keep the tags that i don't feel and i and i keep them in my archery closet until i go back to that place until <laughs> i do the same do the same thing yeah do the same thing yep. Yep. I have yeah, my the, tag. the I thing have my, that <laughs> Uh, the thing that the thing that makes it worse for me is I I take them to heart even if I'm just a camera guy. Right. Like, I was just as much just as my much responsibility to figure it out as the person that was shooting. And I think I think that's what's fun about going with like like all the guys that I hunt with. Again, Bo or Gun, like or just like or a team, and like that's awesome. When you got that, it's just wow. Yeah. It, it's tough to beat it really is but i i know exactly what you mean dude i help i uh i hung my uh new york tag up from turkey up in my room after i didn't choose that turkey and that was the first time i like actually i think it was actually the first time i hadn't filled a turkey tag on an out-of-state trip and it hmm. fired me up man every time i'd look at it it was just like pure disgust but it was like but that keeps me fired up that keeps me going and you know trying to learn yep but hey, man, I know you're gonna get ready to have to catch your flight, dude. Uh, I appreciate you coming yeah. on and doing this, man. I always love talking to you. I hope we get to run into each other here in the not so distant future. But as, yeah. if, as if anyone needs to know where to find out more information about you guys, if you wouldn't mind, just let everyone know where they can follow you. You know, find THP and all that good stuff. Yeah, for sure. So we we have um, 
tons of YouTube episodes. We've been doing the, the deer tour and the turkey tour for the last several years. This September is when we're releasing um, that elk content that we're talking about. Um, so, you know, check out YouTube. We're on YouTube. We're on Instagram. Uh, we're also on Twitter now, which is, uh, is pretty cool. I don't do much Twittering, but Ted, Ted is running the Twitter there, so there's content there. You know, pretty much anything that, you know, any media that you can, or any media platforms you can find, you try to have some presence there. So you just search the hunting public. Uh, you know, there's tons and tons of content. We got like, I know we're over 400 videos. Yeah. So we got a lot of stuff out there. And hopefully some of it is, at the very least, funny and entertaining because of our failure. Right. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, I mean, it, it's the content's killer, man. I, I always like it. Um, it's one of the things that I turn on pretty frequently here at the house on my TV, on my Apple TV, and, and sit down in the evenings and watch some shows. And I've picked up a ton from it. it. The setup on the ground that I had in Iowa was pretty much a blueprint that I actually watched you on a hunt when I saw that setup. When I saw that draw, I was like, shit, man. I was like, this looks like almost exactly like a setup Zach had like in three videos I watched like three <laughs> videos ago. And so it was, cool. so anyone who's not checked it out, like for one, I question whether, whether you live under a rock or not, if you've not seen a THP video, <laughs> um, if you, uh, if, but if you haven't definitely check it out, they're, they're, they're entertaining, they're funny, but there's a lot of opportunity to learn. You guys do a great job of kind of bringing people along and, and teaching them along the way. So appreciate the, what you guys do for the, for the community as well. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. We have a lot of fun with it. And yeah, our, our main goal is just to, yeah, at the very least, you know, let people know, you know, some different strategies and hopefully learn something when they watch them, whether it's good or bad, you know, right. it's always something taken away. Right. Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate you coming on, dude. You feel better and uh, safe travels. Yeah, appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me on. It was fun. All right, folks, that's a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank all of you for listening. If you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and be sure to subscribe to the podcast. We'd be super appreciative if you do those two things for us. And before I shut this thing down, I need to give a big shout-out to our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. Tethered, Exodus Outdoor Gear, Skull Brew Coffee Company, Gumleaf USA Boots, Obsession Bows, Ramcat Broadheads, Trophy Taker Rests, and Dead Down Wind. And until next time, we'll see you all. All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do hard shit hat for those of us who like to embrace micro dosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear.